Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series, and we are continuing our way through a New Testament survey. Um, If you're new to the podcast, check out some of the past episodes. We've got a whole section of podcasts on uh, intro to the Bible, understanding it, um, understanding how we got it and why we can know we can trust it. And then there's an Old Testament survey where there's at least one podcast for every single biblical book in the Old Testament, and we are all the way up to the beginning of the epistle letters. Um, And so we covered Romans the last couple weeks, and we are moving on to the Corinthians. And when you get into the letters, they actually have a very specific context because they were real places and real people in a real time with real issues. Um, And the one thing hopefully you understand today is that Corinth was, in a sense, It was um, Sin City. It was Las Vegas of the modern world of that time. Um, And so we'll talk about the issues and um, the dynamics of that today. Basically, today is an intro, and it is the cultural pieces that help you make sense of the book of Corinthians today on today's podcast. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. Um, I always start with our who, what, when, where, how, and why, key verses, and the structure of the book. And so let's go ahead and do that. Now, we have covered the Apostle Paul and his life, um, and so you may have to go back to an episode previous and and kind of just catch up on who Paul was. Um, but he had been a persecutor of the church, and God had miraculously shown up on the road to Damascus, and he was blind for several days um, and until one of uh, the disciples of Christ came to him and literally just walked him through the gospel. Um, and so So for Paul, he was steeped in Old Testament biblical knowledge. Um, He was very well versed. He was actually one of the who's who's of the Pharisaic um, sect of uh, Judaism. And so he had uh, studied under Gamaliel, who was um, one of the elite educationally. And so he would have been trained in Hebrew oratory style, um, rhetoric. Uh, He would have been trained basically to be a lawyer. Um, He would have been trained to be a pastor and preacher, uh, an evangelist. He would have been trained to be an apologetic uh, for the Old Testament Judaism. And so, of course, you know, at first he was very zealous in his faith and he was attacking followers of Jesus until his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, And at that point, all of a sudden... um, he is beginning to see the Messiah in all of the Old Testament. And so part of his journey is going away for a while and to God just kind of working on his character and who he was. Um, And also just building some credibility for him in his walk. You know, because this allowed believers to see that over time he wasn't going to go back. He wasn't a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because, of course, if your number one enemy in the entire world all of a sudden starts proclaiming himself a Christian, you're kind of going to question, right? Well, that's that's kind of what the early church had to deal with with him. And um, this this one guy named Barnabas just buys it. <laughs> And takes him under his wing. And I'm sure that there was a lot in that early church that were like, "Mm, (laughs) I'm not so sure. Uh, I know the exit, right? (laughs) I can get out of here real quick if I need to. Um, And so you can understand that early church skepticism with um, Saul. 
Uh, and so he eventually come, becomes known as Paul, the apostle of Christ, and he refers to himself as an apostle born out of time. Um, and so the apostleship was very specific in the New Testament. You were called by Christ to be a disciple and then eventually the apostle. Okay, and so outside of Jesus giving that apostolic ministry, you had other converts and, and followers, but you had a very specific set number of apostles. Okay, and that wasn't a position that followed the early church like we think of it today. Um, there's a, a movement in church today of, of newly appointed apostles, and I would kind of throw a question on that. So, um, and just ask, go back to scriptures and look at biblical precedents. Anyway, so because scriptures are our plumb line and they're what we align ourselves up to. So in any case, I um, don't want to get into too much of that, but uh, let's, so Paul is the writer of this. And part of what probably needs to be explained at this point is that Paul was a missionary. And so he and Barnabas, um, felt called and the church agreed with the calling to send Paul out as a missionary. Um, and a little bit like a missionary in terms of what you might think today, except that he didn't settle in one place for his life um, or for series, uh, like permanently. Okay, he traveled around um, and, and he would spend some lengthy time, sometimes up to two years or three years in one place. Ephesus got about three years of his time over the course of his journeys. Um, but he had basically three missionary journeys. Um, and these journeys, he was accountable to the church at Jerusalem. Um, and what that means is that he would send reports back. Like that was his home church, was the church at Jerusalem. Um, they were his sending church, so to speak, if you would, uh, kind of putting it in our concept of today. Um, and so he would send back missionary reports and letters and people sometimes uh, to give reports to the body of apostles that resided in Jerusalem, um, which would have been the disciples that you know, John, Peter, uh, James, um, you know, and, and it would have been those those men. Um and some of those, as as you're going to see through Paul's journey, are being martyred for the faith. Um, and so those initial apostles are, oh, they're getting to be few in number, so to speak. Okay, so basically what we're going to talk about is I'm going to give you some background on Corinth today. Um, but before we do that, this letter was probably written in um, around 55 to 56 AD. We know for a fact, because of some amazing archaeology, that Paul was actually in Corinth at 51 AD. We know that for some very specific reasons that I'll get into a little bit, which are really fascinating. Uh, it's always fun when archaeology will confirm and really nail down when somebody is where in scripture, um, because it gives us a fixed point on a timeline to build, okay, everything that happened after this would have happened after 51 AD, and everything that happened before this we know would have happened before 51 AD, um, and so it gives us some anchors in that timeline to match up biblical events with historical events. Um, in any case, we'll get to all of that in a minute, but um, so that's kind of your time frame is about 55 to 56 AD. Uh, and this was written from the city of Ephesus. 
to the Corinthians, um, the Corinth, the church at Corinth, um, and it was to address division and immorality and to encourage them to love one another. Um, and so there was a lot of divisions. And when I talk about the history of this town, you'll understand why immorality is such a big deal for Corinth, why divisions were such a big deal for Corinth, and why there was this sense of elitism that they were always striving for. And you'll feel that as we talk about the book of Corinthians. Corinthians really is a book that unless you do your cultural research on Corinth and what was going on in that place and time, the book of Corinthians isn't anchored um, and so you don't, because what you have to understand is that when Paul writes them letters, he writes with examples and life that they would be like, oh yeah, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. He uses analogies that are so customed for the individuals at Corinth that there was no question about how they would interpret some of his letter. Um, and so I want you guys to kind of understand that. And this is where I talk and I say, um, a passage of scripture or a book cannot mean something that it would not have meant to its original audience. And so it's, it's incredibly helpful to piece together as much as we can of what the lives of the original audience would have been like, um, what their town would have been like, what their daily life would have been like, what they would have passed by, what they would have done for even fun is important when it comes to the city of Corinth. And I'm kind of leaving you guys lots of teasers, aren't I? Um, and so in any case, I want you to understand that um, today is going to be really fascinating because it was really fun for me to do the research on it. So outline for First Corinthians is... Um, one through four talks about divisions. Um, and then five through 11 talks about morality. And then 12 through 14 talks about the spiritual gifts. And then 15 through 16 talks about the resurrection. Um, the key verse for the book of Corinthians comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, and it's verses 4 and 5. And it says, Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Okay, so that's our outline for 1 Corinthians. Um, I want to go ahead and give you guys 2 Corinthians 2, um, an outline for them, because these are two letters of four that Paul would have been written, would have written to the church at Corinth. And they were written in rapid succession um, because uh, there were issues. And so Paul would have been addressing these very quickly with the church so that things wouldn't get out of hand. And two of these epistle, these letters have been lost to time. Um, and so two of them have been preserved. And when it comes to things like this, we just trust that whatever was in those two letters, these were the ones that God wanted to preserve and protect for scripture purposes. Um, and then for whatever reason, those have just been lost to time. But it's very clear in some of the pieces written that we know that there were four total letters um, and that these letters weren't just a one-way send, that there was actually somebody that had written and asked Paul a lot of questions. Um, and so we actually had a woman in Corinth who sat down with a bunch of other believers and wrote out all of her struggles and their questions um, and sent it to Paul for answers. And so what we have in the book of Corinth First and Second Corinthians is we have part of that back and forth exchange that that happened. Um, okay, so this letter, Second Corinthians, we know was written in fifty six A.D. and it was written. The follow up letter, Second Corinthians, was written to defend Paul's call as an apostle. 
um, and to address the deceivers that had infiltrated the church. Because this is a church that sprang up and it got hit really quick with false teachers. And it's because of part of the dynamics of what was already existing in town um, as far as their love for Greek thought and philosophy. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But the key verse of Second Corinthians is in chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the Christ's power may rest on me. Um, and the outline for Second Corinthians is um, chapters 1 through 7 is apostolic characteristics. Um, and then 8 and 9 is, talks about giving. Um, and then 10 through 13 is Paul's defense uh, to the church. Uh, okay, so I've covered kind of your outlines for both books. The second letter at Corinth to Corinth was actually written in Philippi. Okay, so I want you to understand they're written in two different locations. But let's start off a little bit talking about the city of Corinth. Um, because, like I said, if we're going to dive into the Corinthians, this is stuff that you really need to know. So Corinth was an incredibly important city uh, in its day for multiple reasons, okay? Um, and there are some amazing footage and videos that have been done on the city of Corinth that are on YouTube if you want to look those up. Um, some of what I found was from multiple sources, so I'm not going to specifically quote any one source um, because I kind of made sure the information corroborated by several different places, um, but the city of Corinth was, uh, Corinth was ideal for defense. Um, it was very strategically placed, its location and the geography of the terrain was incredibly important. So what I want you to understand is that Corinth sits on a four mile wide land bridge that links two bigger portions of land. And in order to do shipping trade, you would have to go around the southern peninsula, if it is, if, if, as it were, um, to get to the body of water in the area up on the other side. And so um, Corinth sits at a spot where there's a four, literally a four-mile piece of land that connects um, this lower portion of, of ground to um, basically all of Europe, but there's another body of land. If you're looking at a map and you can see Italy's boot, okay, you're looking at the land right behind the boot, uh, heel, okay. The, the land, uh, basically this is Greece, okay, and so you're looking at Greece on a map. Um, and main, the main body of Greece kind of stops at Delphi down below and Athens, um, right, and then in between Athens and this little Peloponnese Peninsula, almost island, um, is this four mile wide land bridge. And right smack in the middle of that is the city of Corinth. Now, um, there's multiple reasons why Corinth was such a successful city. And you got to remember location, location, location every time is what's going to make or break a city, right? Okay. So, number one, that you had lower Corinth and then you had a rock mountain in back. 
um, that was Upper Corinth, okay? And on the road to get to the top of this basically rock mountain, they would have over time constructed up to around 12 temples along the route all the way to the top, okay? And this makes sense because, you know, as you go up the mountain, you're getting closer to the gods, right? And so you have all of the Greek... um, uh, Greek thought when it comes to the gods and goddesses and so on and so forth. And what happened is that, you know, this had been a strategic place for the, for the Greeks. And then the Romans came in and basically rebuilt the entire city um, at about 44 AD. Um, and so the city's been completely redone as like this little Roman citadel, so to speak. Um, all of the defenses and the forces, but Um, All of these old buildings have gotten facelifts. Everything's been redone. Um, Rome put a lot of money into Corinth um, to upgrade it. And so uh, basically what you had is kind of this melting pot. Um, And the reason you had a melting pot is because of the trade that would come into town. Um, And so it was a good place to move to because there was lots of potential to grow business um, and to make money. Um, so I've talked about how it was ideal for defense. The other thing I want you guys to understand is that upper Corinth on that rock mountain, uh, it had a separate water supply that could take care of up to 5,000 people for any length of time. And so the fortress up literally up on this rock mountain, they could lock down and there was enough water supply for 5,000. And so that kind of just tells you what kind of a a fortress and military stronghold this could be, okay? Because it's always easier to make your enemies come uphill to fight you, right? Rather than being in a valley where they'd get to rush you downhill and get you. Um, And so Upper Corinth had uh, that higher altitudes. So anybody in the Lower Corinth, if they were under attack, could just flee to the mountain um, and have a fortress and a water supply and be completely safe. Um, And so you can kind of see the significance militarily. Okay. The other thing that made it um, prosperous was just the geography of it. Um, It had double ports. So it was a double port city. So you had people coming in from the Mediterranean Sea coming in through past Delphi down into Corinth um, because it was easier to do that than it was to go south and around that Peloponnese Peninsula. Um, Evidently, the the waters and the storms were so bad that there were tons of shipwrecks in through that area to the extent that uh, sailors would say, um, if you make it once, don't try it again because you won't come home was kind of the idea that you won't be lucky a second time to go through that way. Um, And so, of course, ships carrying cargo had a couple different options at this point. You could sail into Corinth, um, you know, from either the South Port or the North Port, and you could put in, you could offload all of your supplies, and then you could either have a ship waiting to pick the supplies up on the other side of this four-mile land bridge and take it on, or you could sail your ship around to the other port, get your stuff, and take off from there. And that way, you know, if you did shipwreck, you at least wouldn't lose all of your supplies and your stuff. Um, And so, 
you know, I, I'm sure if you were wealthier, you would have a ship waiting and that ship would have its supplies. And so you'd switch supplies and take off in the opposite directions. So anytime you have a double port city like that, you've got a lot of people queued in line waiting to transport goods and services. And sometimes even small ships would have been literally drug across this four-mile piece of land. Um, They've actually found roads that have grooves in where they would have had a sled that they could have loaded the boat on and literally pulled it across the four miles um, to the other body of water and put the ship back in the water, reload it up, and off they go. But you would have had a lot of people coming into port and then queuing up in lines to wait to do that. So while you're waiting and you're lodging somewhere, you're spending money. You're spending money on lodging, you're spending money on food, entertainment, basic needs, that kind of thing. Um, And so it became this melting pot of people from all over the known world at the time. You had lots of tolerance to eclectic backgrounds and religions. Um... The other thing that kind of happened is that it became a center for trade and manufacturing. Um, And actually, in the world at the time, uh, King Solomon actually makes reference to Corinthian bronze. Um, And so you can kind of, there's an Old Testament reference to something that Corinthian would have been known for uh, was their bronze. And their bronze could be processed to the point that you couldn't hardly tell it from gold. Um, And so whatever... uh, Whatever means they used, they were able to make it look incredible, and it was known as Corinthian bronze. Okay, so the next thing that kind of made this little city what it was is the fact that they it was the home of the Ismene Games, okay? Now, obviously, the most well-known are the Olympic Games, um, and those would have been throughout the entire world at that time. But the Ismene Games are the second most famous type of Olympic Games, and they would have been held every other year in Corinth. And so Corinth had a massive sports complex and stadium um, for athletes and visitors coming in to watch games and races and so so on and so forth. Um, And so there was no permanent lodging for this influx of people that happened every other year. And so you would get massive amounts of tent cities now, this is significant because what did Paul do for a living? Paul was a tent maker. He fixed tents. He mended them. He, um, he made new ones. I mean, that was part of how he supported himself while doing ministry throughout the region. Um, and so you can kind of understand why Corinth would be a big draw uh, for him. The other thing is we know... Um, we know that this was a destination for religious um, pilgrims. So um, one of the things we know about the city of Corinth is the highest temple on the road up to the mountain, basically, um, was Aphrodite's temple. Now, Aphrodite was the goddess of love, um, and the entire worship for her was basically um, immorality. I mean, just blatant in-your-face immorality that was just widely accepted. Um, And it wasn't just, I mean, it was men, women, prostitutes. It it was anything goes. Um, And so there just was a, it was to such an extent that um, they actually coined a Greek verb and translated it to Corinthianize. 
and it meant to practice sexual immorality. Um, and so it was, it was this term that literally was coined to express massive amounts of immorality, um, homosexual and um, otherwise. And so uh, that's kind of the thing to understand. Prostitutes would openly ply their wares, and meat markets thrive from the sale of sacrifices offered um, in the temples. And so these Christians had to contend with meat that was offered to idols all over the place. Um, Corinthians ate very well. They satisfied their sexual urges without condemnation. They flirted with the wisdom of men. They did everything they could do to keep their bodies as beautiful as those of the Greek gods. And they loved to listen to orators. Now, um, sorry, that's just a little snippet out of um, precepts has a Bible put out by Harvest House Publishers. Um, And that's kind of the little blurb that Um, is kind of at the beginning of of Corinthians, and it goes on to say, um, for the 250,000 citizens there, um, there were almost two slaves for every person. And what more did Corinthian need? Well, freedom, freedom from sin and death. Um, God met the need by blocking Paul at every hand on his second missionary journey until he received the Macedonian call Come help us. After establishing the Corinthian church, Paul eventually went to Ephesians, Ephesus, sorry, where he stayed for three years. From there, he wrote his first epistle to the Corinthian believers who so desperately needed help and correction um, sometime between 52 and 56. Now, we know that Paul was actually in Corinth in 51 AD. Um, so, okay, so we've t- covered the immorality in the city. Um, But I want you guys to understand there were thousands, thousands of temple prostitutes in a town of 250,000. And all day long, they would be up at the temples prostituting. And then at night, they would go down to Corinth down below and they would prostitute down there. Um, And so this was a 24-7 prostitution constant in your face. Um, And so imagine growing up in that city as a child. Um, where sexuality was just deviant and everywhere. Um, And so because of the nature of all of these visitors coming in with the ships um, and trade and all of that, and then waiting in town, um, there were a couple of things that happened. But one is you would have anonymity um, of, you know, nobody knows you, you're new to town. And, And so the sleeping with all of these guests and, and, you know, just, uh, you know, no wonder the Corinthians had no concept of marriage because that w- their culture was just to sleep with multiple um, individuals over the course of a lifetime. I mean, that's just what you did on a daily basis. Um, it was part of how you worshipped. It was your lifestyle. It was, it was your normal. Um, and so, okay, a couple of other things I want to mention here too. Um, all right, so the, I'm going to go back a little bit to these uh, Ismian games because um, basically what you would have had is you would have had a lot of athletes athletes flood town. You would have had a lot of training going on. And, you know, as a result, you would have a lot of injuries. Um, well, one of the temples on the way to the top was for a god that was over injuries, so like a doctor. Because back in that day, they didn't have doctors as you and I know them. So what do you do? You go to your god. Um, and so the, Ro- the Greeks and the Romans had a god for healing. Um, and so basically his temple for that god would have been kind of like a hospital, more or less. Um, and so 
one of the things that they did, and they know this from excavation, is that they would have made a clay mold of their body part that they felt needed healed. And so they literally, they have literally excavated all of these body parts that are made of clay um, at this site and all around Corinthians. Because one of the things you would do is, you know, if it was your ankle or your leg, you would make a full cast of your leg, anything that you felt needed healed. And you would like do your whatever ritual was with the God at the temple, and then you would go home, and you would take whatever figurine had just been made home with you to remind the God for healing. Um, and you would it would become part of your shrine at home. And so the Corinthians would have been surrounded by um, body parts, clay body parts. Um, that had been created or they were holding on to or, you know, just various different things, especially with all of the athletes in town. Um, and so you can almost look at Paul's writings in Corinthians about the body of Christ and all of these parts fitting together and, and get a sense that Paul's using this image of all of these body parts that are around, but talking about how, you know, a leg apart from the body isn't good for anything. Um, and so just kind of interesting that he would use something that was they were so familiar with parts of the body um, to just kind of use that as an example of the body of Christ. Anyway, um, and so there just was this that was just fascinating to me. Um, there actually is several archaeological finds that have supported, um, and I'm going to have to do most of those probably next um, next podcast, but I do want to mention one. Um, and I've talked about how we know that Paul would have been in town in 51 AD. The reason we know this is something called the Gallio inscription. And this was actually found at Delphi, um, which is in the same harbor that you would have sailed into to get to that northernmost port of Corinth. You would have gone past Delphi. Um, Now, Delphi had a tablet that they found that was carved. And on that tablet, it said that Galleon, or Gallio, um, it's called the Galleon inscription is what it's called. Um, but proconsuls would have served for one year from June to July of the next year. Okay. Um, and so you, you had a one-time service and that's it. The inscription found uh, in the temple of Apollo in Delphi states that Gallio was proconsul in 51 AD. Well, we know in Acts that Paul was in Corinth when Gallio was the proconsul. Um, And so we know that Paul was in town in 51 AD because of this little inscription that was found at at the temple of Apollos in Delphi. Isn't that amazing? So that helps us literally put an anchor in the timeline for the life and ministry of Paul. Um, We know what happens before he goes to Corinth and what happens after. And so we have a moment in time where we're able to go, okay, we know that happened at 51 AD. Um, And so that's just one example about how archaeology helps to validate the accuracy of scripture. Um, The other thing we do know is that there were games that year that he was in Corinth. And so we know it makes sense that he was there as a tent maker, making a living. Um, And that's where he met Aquila and Priscilla, um, who became ministry partners with him. Uh, And so he would have, they probably had a shop in town down in Corinth, and he would have probably lived and did life with them 24 7. 
Um, and so that would have been the beginnings of the early church in Corinth. Okay, I'm going to end there today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to OpenTheWordPodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit, everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from modern farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.